Okay, this is a book. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this before. Ellie and the Little White Lie. Okay. You know that book? Okay, you probably never really thought about the depth of this book. Okay. Uh, you'll see. I'm, I'm going to read the book to you. Okay, we're going to read it together. Don't fall asleep, please. Um, but this book is extraordinarily relevant to what we're going to be learning today. Um, and even though it's written for children, it's a very actually a very deep and mature concept. So I think my kids ripped out the first page. <laughs> okay, so basically it starts the first page. All the kids are in front of the refrigerator, okay, having this argument. I didn't do it, said Adina. It wasn't me, said Shani, nor me, said Yasi. Then who ate the chocolate pudding cake, asked Shani. What chocolate pudding cake, said Ellie. But there was chocolate all over Ellie's face and even on his shirt. He did eat it. Ellie should have told the truth, but he didn't. All of a sudden, something flew onto Ellie's shoulder. He tried to brush it away with his hand. Shoe fly, he said. I'm not a fly, a voice answered. Who said that, asked Ellie, looking all around. I didn't hear anything, said Shani, but Ellie was able to hear it, and Ellie was able to see it. It was little, it was fluffy, and it was white. Ellie picked it up and held it in the palm of his hand. If you're not a fly, said Ellie, then what are you? Just a little white lie, it said. I think you're cute, said Ellie. Ellie loved the little white lie. He took it with him everywhere. He took it to the park, he took it to the store, and he even took it to school. One day, Shani found a ball. Is this yours? She asked Ellie. Uh-huh, said Ellie, and he nodded yes. He knew that it wasn't his. Ellie should have told the truth, but he didn't. All of a sudden, the little white lie began to grow, and then, poof, it changed from white to pink. Let's play, said the pink lie to Ellie when it stopped growing. I can't play, said Ellie. I have to do my homework. You can do it later, said the, the lie said. Come, and it held out its pink fluffy arm to Ellie. Ellie and the pink fluffy lie played for a long time. Ellie came home late. I'm glad you're home, said Ellie's mother. It's almost supper time. Do you have any homework to do? I don't think so, said Ellie. He did have homework to do. Ellie should have told the truth, but he didn't. All of a sudden, the lie began to grow again. It grew bigger and bigger, and then poof, it changed from pink to blue. Let's play king, said the blue lie when it stopped growing. I'll be the king, and you'll be my slave. Now bring me something to eat. I don't like this game at all, Ellie complained, and I don't even like you anymore. Then Ellie did a very bad thing. He threw a plate down onto the floor. It crashed and smashed into tiny bits. Ellie's mother ran quickly into the room. What happened, she asked. The plate fell off the table, Ellie said. It wasn't my fault. Ellie should have told the truth, but he didn't. As soon as he told this lie, the big blue lie began to grow even bigger. It grew and it grew and it grew and then poof. It changed from blue to purple. Soon it became a gigantic, ugly, disgusting purple lie. Now the lie took Ellie wherever it wanted to go. I'm hungry, growled the ugly purple lie. What's for dinner? Spaghetti and meatballs, replied Ellie. It's my favorite dish. Mine too, said the ugly purple lie, and it gobbled up everything that was in the pot. Ellie was upset. He ran to his room and shut the door. He leaned against the door to keep the lie out. Go away, said Ellie. I don't like you anymore. But the purple lie didn't listen. It pushed the door open. Next, Ellie tried stuffing the purple lie into the room closet, but it didn't fit. Then he tried pushing it under the couch, but the couch popped up to the ceiling with Ellie on it. Oh, it's no use, sobbed Ellie. You just won't go away. Finally, Ellie said, I'm going to sleep. Maybe when I wake up, we'll be gone. Ellie said shema and went to bed. The purple lie fell asleep in the rocking chair. It made loud and funny snoring sounds. That night, Ellie dreamed about his lie. 
I used to think you were so cute when you were little and white, said Ellie. How did you ever grow into something so ugly and big and purple? Because you kept lying, said the lie. But now I want you to go away, Ellie shouted. Do you really want me to leave, asked the lie. Yes, I truly do, screamed Ellie, and he suddenly woke up from his sleep. Now Ellie finally knew how to get the horrible creature to go away. I'm sorry that I ever told that first that first little lie, Ellie said. Now I know why the Torah says, keep far away from lies. From now on, I will always tell the truth. And he did that morning when Ellie sat down to breakfast, his mother asked, Ellie, did you wash your hands? Ellie was about to lie, but he didn't. Instead, he told the truth. I didn't want yet wash yet, mom, I'm sorry. I'll do it right now. Mother gave Ellie a big hug and kiss. As soon as Ellie told the truth, the gigantic, ugly, purple lie started to shrink. Why are you getting smaller, asked Ellie, because you're telling the truth, it said. Then Ellie told his brother and sisters that he was the one who ate the chocolate pudding cake. Ellie felt much better now. When the lie heard Ellie telling the truth again, it packed its bags and it got ready to leave. Ellie smiled as he watched the lie shrink smaller and smaller, and then poof, it was gone. Okay. So this book really encapsulates. I know, right? I'm surprised you aren't all sleeping in the desk. <laughs> <laughs> so this book, believe it or not, really encapsulates what we're going to be speaking about today. Okay, the second Mida, the Torah Devorah. Okay, are there any extras? Can people share? In the back. Okay. Does anybody else need? Okay. okay, we're on page ten. Okay, Ariel, do you guys have? Do you need one? Thank you. Okay. This one's on there. Okay. Text. Remember last week, the first meter that we talked about was Mikhail Kamocha. We said God is referred to as a humiliated king because he continuously gives us life, even though we use that life force to do things against his will. But nonetheless, he gives us the time and the space to be able to realize that we've done something wrong. And his first initial knee-jerk reaction to what we do is... Anybody? What's, his, what's the initial way that Hashem reacts to us? Right, so what me does that? compassion <laughs> but yeah <laughs> the truth is it's important that Shtrell said that okay because again the, the term what God is called is me Kel Kamocha we said the name Kel represents why because, because God is making a choice he's choosing okay to pull himself back He's not pulling himself back because he's, he doesn't have the power or the energy or the ability to give us, you know, give it right back to us. He for sure could do that if he wanted to, but he's making the choice to hold himself back. So again, a person can only be emulating this Nida if we also choose, okay? We are making a calculated decision that I am not going to react in a way of justice and anger or whatever right now, because I know that in the long run, that's not going to be the best. Right now, I need to try to make this work in a way of compassion. Again, as we said, down the line, it might be I have to pull away, but that's not the first knee-jerk reaction. Again, remember what we said, the goal here is for us to be in control of our emotions, not the opposite. Everybody clear? That is the first nida. okay? The second nida. No, it is not indifferent. And we said that specifically, it is not apathy and it's not indifferent. I care a lot. And because I care so much, 
I want to make sure that I react in the proper way. Okay. No se avon. Okay. The second mida is called no se avon. Anybody know what that word, what, what that means? Lift. Avon is sin. Okay. To be no se avon is to carry, lift, to carry. Okay. So technically, this means that God is carrying our avon. The question is, what is, an, what is the avon that we're talking about here? Okay. So let's start. Bahari is a gadol. So we're saying this mida is gadol. This mida is great, especially compared to the previous mida. Why? Because in the previous mida, yes, granted, okay, Hashem sustains us as we make bad decisions. Okay, but now he's going a step further. Not only is he sustaining us while we're making the bad decisions, now he's actually sustaining the negativity that results from that bad decision. Okay, he's sustaining the consequences of that decision. Okay, which is already a step above and beyond what he's doing before. So, so this Mida is even greater than the other one. Okay, so we're gonna spend a few minutes understanding what this mashrit is. Anyone have an idea? Modern Hebrew. What do you say? Shrita? Shrita is actually the tet. Okay, what does it mean to lahashrit something? Isn't it like procreation? No, I'm kidding. Come on, Cheryl. Sure. No, that's what Natalia said. That's spelled with a tet. Mashrit means to destroy. Okay? So a mashrit is a destructor. Okay? So pretty much all of the Mepharshim say about this word avon, that the avon is actually referring to a mashrit, meaning what? That every time that we sin, we are creating... Okay, a mashrit. This little white lie that turned into the pink lie, that turned into the blue lie, that turned into the purple lie. Okay, we're creating an actual thing. Okay, some kind of destruction. Now we have to understand what that means. So I'm going to give you a few different ideas. One of them, I didn't photocopy this for you, so just bear with me. It's just a couple of lines, but this is actually from the Mechavaliyahu. Okay, from Abdesla. So he says as follows. He says, When a person is born, when a person is created, there's a, a number of different types of spiritual realities that is given to a person. But they're all in potential. Okay, meaning we're created with, with certain spiritual energies in potential. Then we have the ability to actualize these potentials in any direction that we so choose. So again, these spiritual energies, let's say, are neutral. Okay, the Baal Shem Tov even says, every mida that a person, every mida is inherently neutral. It's a matter of what we do with them that's gonna make them either good or bad. Okay, so you can look at it the same way. We have spiritual potentials that are, when we're born, they're totally neutral. And what happens to them is gonna depend on the choices that we make. So if I take some of those and I turn them towards the way of Kedusha, Nivrami Zemalach Kadosh, maybe you heard this before, right? You do a mitzvah, you create a little malach, whatever that means, but what are you, what are you creating? A positive, a positive energy, okay? There's some kind of positive creation that you're creating. This is part of his neshama that he's now actualizing. And it goes up to Shemayim, right? 
and he puts a little brick on your base on and if not, if not, it becomes part of the sitra afa, part of the, the negative forces, okay? As long as the neshama is enclosed in the body, we don't really feel this, right? We don't, we don't, we're not conscious of what's going on, okay? We might know this like conceptually, spiritually, but we don't, we don't really feel it. As long as we're physical beings, we don't feel it. After a person dies, after 120, but in the, in the world of truth, a person's gonna be confronted now with all of the positive angels, I guess, and all of the negative angels that he created. He's going to now face all of the consequences. Okay, so there is, again, spiritual realities that we are creating or not even creating, we have them, but we are able to manipulate them either for the positive or for the negative. That's one way to understand what a mashrit is. The second one actually is, uh, I, learned, I learned this from Rav Kersner Zatel, who actually was quoting Rav Hutner. Um, and to be honest, I don't know, is anybody here into mindfulness at all? Like I know it's like a catch thing, right? So I, my husband was like really into it. And I, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I could not really understand what he was saying to me. Like, it wasn't resonating with me, like, at all. I'm just like, oh, no, I can't. And then, I don't know what happened. One day, it really struck me, and it hit me, because I remembered this idea, and I was like, oh, I think I get it now, okay? So, basically, the way Ralph Hutner describes, I guess, the, uh, the life cycle of negativity is that it starts off really as a thought, okay? We have a thought, Little Yitzhahara is like, no, you should really do this, right? And so now if you want to talk about mindfulness, right? Mindfulness means what? I don't have, I am not my thoughts, right? And I don't have to give reality to my thoughts. I can just let them pass by, right? And move along. But this, in this situation, I have a thought to do something negative and that, it doesn't just stop there. I don't just say, please move along, right? I, I actually give it. I give it credence, right? I actually internalize it. And now what I'm doing, what I'm doing is I'm giving it flesh and blood, right? I'm giving it like reality. Okay. So when I, that helped me understand the concept of mindfulness, because again, we get stuck. We think every thought that I have, I have to give like relevance to, right? I have to give credence to, and that's not the truth. That's not the case at all. There are many thoughts that we have that we don't have to pay attention to, and we don't have to feel guilty about our thoughts. The only thing we need to really be concerned about is what I do with my thoughts, right? You might feel like you want to murder someone, okay? And you know what? If they're idiotic, yes, you might even, you know, if there's nothing wrong with feeling like that. But the question is, are you going to pick up a knife and stab them? Or are you going to just like move along with your life, okay? And not let that. So in the, in the life cycle of negativity, not only do I have that thought, but now I'm giving it life, okay? Now, once I give it resources and I give it flesh and I give it blood, the next step is that it becomes so strong, like we see in this book, right? It becomes so strong that now it dominates you and now it's taking over you. And now you don't have that choice anymore, okay? Now it becomes something that corrupts our resources, okay? And, and it can end up destroying a person, which is not something that we want to do. So again, this book, I think, is very powerful because it's showing us in a kid's way, you know what I'm saying? The decisions that we make really impact, uh, really impact us, okay? So that's another way of understanding it. Um, another commentator, um, yeah. Is that like, is that like, it seems to link a little bit mental health in a way? So is that, is that like what it's saying? Is that in what like, way, what do you mean? Like, 
you know, that the harder my that your thoughts become, but actually, you know, you kind of get stuck into a cycle of negativity. Right. Well, that's quite, yeah, that's the, the point. I don't have to, I don't have to allow myself to get stuck in that. You know, and again, I don't have to feel, what happens to a lot of us is that we feel guilty about our thoughts, but you don't need to feel guilty about what you're thinking. You need to feel guilty about what, what, you know, you give reality to. Okay. Not every thought needs to become real. Again, I can just let it pass through. It's a matter of what do I actually give credence to? That is already, that, that already becomes more, that's my reality. Does that make sense? Then? Okay. Okay, so Rav Scheinberger was another commentator, uh, another commentator that I read on the Tumor Devorah. So he actually says that as a Tzalem Elohim, uh, Hashem gives us the ability to also emulate him as a creator. Okay, we know that generally, right? We create things, yesh miyesh, like there's something I mix, you know, I take flour and water and I make challah, okay? But to create something from nothing, that's definitely not a, uh, a typical, like it's not really a person, a person can't actually do that. But he said, in this case, we actually have the ability with our actions to, to be a creator, just like God is a creator, okay? And so we have the ability to, again, through our actions, create this mashchit potentially, or hopefully to create something positive, okay? And you know, the problem is, is that we can create this, let's say, negative mashchit, this destructive force, but we can't sustain it. Only God can sustain it. So that's where we get in trouble, okay? Because if if left to its own devices, as we said, again, what happened in this book is that it, it was going to destroy, it could destroy this boy, right? It took over. It takes over. It becomes something that just completely takes over your world, okay? So that's another way of understanding this. Yeah, so sure. Okay, next, from Rav Matasyal Salomon. From the Mashkiach, he's Mashkiach on uh, Lakewood Yeshiva. Okay, so he quotes from this, actually, that those of us who say Tehillim together on Thursdays. Yeah. What do you mean we use all that? We don't have the resources to sustain this, this creature that work because it, on its own, it would just literally eat us alive, basically. So in order to allow it to, sort of like live, but not necessarily completely destroy us, that has to be from God, you understand? If God didn't hold it back, it would literally destroy us, all right? So in Parakuf Membet 142 of Tehillim, which is one of the programs we say together, so one of the Pesukim says, Kahatsi Leni Fai Ki Ansu Imani with an ayin or an aleph, trying to remember. Uh, no, it's with an aleph. Okay. Hatsi leni mani. Meaning what? Hatsi leni. Save me from my pursuers. Ki, why? Amtsumi mani. What does amats mean? Chazak the amats means strong. Okay. Save me from my pursuers because they are stronger than me. Okay, so this is a, this is what Pasuk David Amalek says in Tehillim. Okay, so the truth is, is that Rabbi Tzio Solomon said this is actually referring to the Mashchit, meaning what? Why are my Rufai, meaning why are the negative forces that I create, why are they, why are they stronger? Why are they so strong? Me, many, it comes from me. Okay, it's from my choices. Okay, being pursued by this negativity is a result of my own choices. Okay, and if I don't step up to the plate and do some tshuva, 
All right, that's going to be really that's going to be the end of me. Okay, um, and we we have to dive in that who should save us from ourselves. Essentially, that's kind of what we're doing here. Okay, and uh, the last the another idea from Robinson Heller. She says that when a person does a sin, you know, we have to understand whether you're doing a mitzvah or you're doing a sin, we're, we're affecting the world in a cosmic way. Okay, we like to think about it when we do mitzvah, right? I do a mitzvah here and someone in, you know, Venezuela is like super inspired. Okay, but unfortunately, the same thing works for, uh, for doing a sin. Okay, when we do a sin, not only are we putting up a veil, let's say between us and Hashem, right? Not only are we making a barrier between us and God personally, but we're also creating barriers in the world at large. Meaning what? I speak Lashon Hara, right? I speak Lashon Hara about someone. So now what am I, what kind of energy am I emitting into the world? I'm emitting this energy of seeing people negatively. It's all about negativity, right? And that's kind of what I'm, I'm emitting this negative energy into the world. So again, I'm bringing destruction to the world, not just in my own personal little Dalit Amot, but also in the world at large. Okay. So again, that's also an element of this Mashchit, um, that I'm bringing. So if you want to just understand it on a very like more rational level, if you don't want to talk about angels and whatever, okay, just to understand a mashrit is essentially the spiritual, the emotional, the physical, the psychological consequences of our actions, okay? Everything has consequences. Everything has results. We do not live in a vacuum and we have to understand that, okay? And so that's really what the mashrit is talking about, okay? So let's go back into the text. Okay, so again, there's no such thing as a person doing a sin where some kind of negative force is not created. Whenever somebody transgresses one sin, they are kodnev for themselves. What does it mean, liknot? To buy, to acquire. So I'm acquiring or I'm creating for myself, okay, a kategor. It's a very... Uh, big word at this time of year, right? What is a category? Category, no. A category is a prosecutor, okay? It's a prosecuting angel, okay? So every time I do a sin, I'm basically creating for my, in my world a prosecuting angel. So then this prosecuting angel goes up to God and says, you know who created me? So-and-so, okay? So-and-so created me. And as we've discussed, nothing, nothing has the ability to be sustained in this world unless God is giving it life. So now this mashchit, right? I just brought another creation into the world, right? And look, when a person has a baby, right? A, a piece of Hashem in the world. Okay, yes, Hashem has another beautiful creation to take care of. You think he really wants to take care of this? Okay, so how is this negative reality now going to be sustained? Hadin if we were looking at it from a place of strict justice, Right? I don't give sustenance to destructors. Go to the person who created you. Let him take care of you. Right? That would be if you want to look at it strictly from a just place. Okay? What would happen if that's how it would be left? Okay? If God said, you know what? You, you made this mess. You deal with it. Right? You create. You take care of it. The mashrit would now come down. And one of three things would happen. 
V'notel nishmato, we would literally take a person's neshama. O korto, or it would be karet, the, 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 um, the onish, the punishment of karet. Ona enashalav, kefian show. Or this person would be punished. Until this mashchit would be nullified. So actually, these three options are being are going from most harsh to least harsh. Okay, so if you're really looking at it in the order of how things would happen, first, again, God tries to give you some space, right? So maybe he'll, you know, manipulate, you know, circumstances in your life to make you think like, hmm, maybe I should stop for a moment and think like, did I do something, right? Maybe things will be a little uncomfortable for you. As a wake up call, like I want to give you the, the uh, I don't want to make things too bad, right? But I want you to like wake up and say, oh yeah, you know what? Maybe I need to do a little bit self self assessment, see what's going on here. If that doesn't work, then we go to karit. Okay, now karit is one of these punishments. It's a spiritual punishment. We, we talk about it all the time. Um, it's a punishment that's given to someone who eats on Yom Kippur, someone who eats chametz on Pesach, someone who doesn't have a brit milah. Um, it's, it's, big, it's a big one, okay? But it's a spiritual uh, punishment. What does it mean exactly? So the Nefesh HaChayim, Rafaim Yuzhal Velazhin explains that Karis actually is, you know, we have, there are three levels of the soul that we really have access to in this world. There's the Nefesh, the Ruach, and the Neshama. So Karis is when the Nefesh gets cut off from the Ruach, okay? This makes it a lot more difficult to connect spiritually, okay? It makes it a lot more difficult for us to, so to speak, nurse from our source of Kedusha. It's not impossible, but it's much more challenging. Okay, now if this doesn't work, okay, then we go to the last option, which anybody really wants, which is no talishmato, a person that actually have to come to a place where he will, where he will have to die, okay? Until this mashkrit uh, is dealt with. Okay, but God does not behave this way. This is not how God acts. Okay, Hashem says, even though you, right, man, created this negativity, I'm going to sustain it for a while. So it's not going to completely sap you of all of your resources. Because as we said before, right, if I don't take care of it, it's going to just eat you alive, right? You're going to self destruct. Okay, and He doesn't want that to happen. Exactly. Because He knows if we tried to do it, we wouldn't be able to. We just it would just kill us. So he sustains it, okay, giving us time to realize that what we've done was wrong. Again, just a beautiful example. Okay, now he had a dream. Okay, I don't know how many of us have dreams like this, but maybe we learn a good muster schmooze or whatever. Something happened where we like woke up and we're like, oh my god, I cannot believe I did that. And hopefully, we will be able to stop, right, and say, I'm really sorry. I'm going to be more conscious and not not to do that again. That's the ultimate goal. So God doesn't react the first way. He doesn't want to just give the mashrit free reign. He wants to sustain it for a while until we have the ability or hopefully the opportunity to do tshuva. But he carries and he tolerates this sin, this mashrit. Just like God sustains the whole world. He also actually sustains this destructive angel. So another commentator named Rablando, who has a commentary on the Sefer as well, he brings a very strong mashal, which we probably don't want to think about in this context. But the mashal is a man who's married, lovely marriage, one day flips a switch, no longer loves his wife anymore. He treats her terribly, gets remarried. He, she's still in the house, takes another wife, brings her into the house. And this wife has the, opportunity, the option, right? I mean, you would say any normal woman would leave. Okay, but... 
she stays and she takes care of the husband and she takes care of this new wife, giving them everything that they need. Why? Why would she do that? What is she thinking in the back of her head? Exactly. Hoping beyond hope that one day he's going to realize what an idiot he was, right? And he's going to come back to them. Okay. And so Lahab deal, right? This is what's happening with God. It's the same thing. We've taken a new wife. You know, we've taken a new wife. We've got lady, ladies, we're married. Okay. We're married to God, but whether we like it or not, but that's what happened on Mercy Night. God didn't just want to be friends. Okay. He wanted to be married. Okay. And so being married is a very strong commitment. So when we're starting to go on a path and doing things that we're not supposed to be doing, it's tantamount to taking a new wife, right? Completely mistreating him, right? Not paying attention, but yet what is God doing? It happens to be, I forgot to tell you this last week, but the Ramak actually gives, a, a, you know, an example. He's like, uh, you know, when we said Hashem is giving us life and we're not, you know, doing with it what we should. It's like, you know, a, a bee stinging a person and you're feeding the bee honey while he's stinging. Okay. That's what, that's what's going on here. Right. Yeah. But why not just stop having the thought? And then Hashem sustains it in the sense that he gives us, he buys for us time to make, to the tshuva. Yes. It's not just about, that's already a good step, right? To stop. But it's not enough to just stop. We have to like really go through the process saying, wow, I messed up. Okay. Um, that's what's going to make the destructive mashrit, right? That's what's going to make it poof, disappear. When I, when I stop and I say, I can't believe I did that. Right. And I, move hopefully and i start doing and i start doing the right thing okay so until one of three things happens um okay so we want to see how are we going to get rid of this accumulating debt okay we all have this accumulating debt of mashritim that god's sakes like one of them is enough to destroy us but let alone all the ones that we've created okay so what are the options? Number one, or the per, either the person who's going to do actual tshuva. And you should know that deep tshuva, real tshuva, has the ability to really rehabilitate us from the trauma of the past. Okay? Deep, real tshuva has the ability to do that. Okay? And, you know, think about erasing a board. Okay? So I don't know, I've erased, you know, depending on the, on the marker and on the eraser, sometimes you can erase the board and it's perfectly clean. And sometimes you erase the board and what happens, right? You still see schmutz left on the, on the blackboard. Okay? So the pain from the regret that we have is like the eraser. Okay? I have pain and I really regret what I've done. Okay? That's going to start helping to erase. But how much is it going to erase? Is it going to leave behind any kind of impression? That's going to, that's going to really depend on, on the extent of the pain that I feel and the extent of the regret that I feel. Okay? So the tshuva that I go through, the process that I go through has the ability. And let me, you know, let me just explain this to you. I, I forgot. I wanted to mention to you before. Okay? There's really two components here of, there's really two types of tshuva, which I'm sure you probably have started learning before at least, at least right? There's tshuva may. Hira, right, from fear, and there's tshuva, may, ahava. Okay, so there's two levels, but every time we do a chayvah, there's two levels that are going on here. One level is, I messed up, right? God told me to do this or not to do this, and I just transgressed what he did, so I need to get a punishment for that. There's a consequence for that, okay? So, doing tshuva, may, hira, equates to that first level of sin, just the very basic. I transgressed, right? God, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me, which is like how a lot of people stand in shul on Rosh Hashanah Kippur. Like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. So I'll, I'm sorry. Okay, just 
just don't kill me, okay? That really equates to the first level. The second level, okay, of a sin is what? Understanding that it's not just the action that I'm doing. It's not just the transgression, the physical act, but it's the consequences now, the toxicity that I've been, that put in my body, the barriers that I've created, the negativity that I've created. That's already on a spiritual level. You know, that that's already a, a different, you know, that's already a different level, okay? So that is... That level of the hate, okay, is going to be dealt with tshuva mei ahava, okay? Tshuva mei yira is not going to get rid of that, okay? Tshuva mei yira is like erasing the board, but there's still a lot of like ink all over it. It's not totally clean. The only thing that's going to really get rid of that is tshuva mei ahava. The, what, what's going to get rid of all of those negative consequences, that's going to be tshuva that's coming out of love, okay? So again, this tshuva that we're going to do has the ability to nullify this destructive creature. Okay. Um, number two, oh umita. Or if that's not what's going to happen, it's going to be nullified through justice, through suffering, okay, through through death, even possibly. Okay. And I'll take it to you in second session. Um, Rebison Heller actually said something so interesting. She said that, you know, even regular suffering that we go through that we don't even think so much about, like having to make a parnasa, right? Having to make a parnasa is hard, right? It's tough getting a job and working and losing a job and not having enough money, all those kinds of suffering. That's part of this, okay? Dealing with that kind of suffering. Again, ladies, no one ever asks for suffering. We're not supposed to ask for suffering, but like we mentioned last week, when it comes to pain, right? We said pain, we, we usually think pain is bad and we want to do everything we can to make it stop. But in reality, the suffering that we go through should be at least be embraced. It doesn't have to, again, we're not asking for it, but we have to at least appreciate the place that it plays in our life, okay? And hopefully we dive in, Hashem, please help me rectify whatever I need to rectify so that I can get through this pain, right? I want this to work. I want it to, I want it to do its job. If I have to go through this, fine, but at least help me figure out and understand how I can fix it, okay, and make it better. Yeah, so Sasha, what did you have to ask? Um, I wanted to ask where I kind of guilt comes into it, because obviously it's a natural product of your breath, and, and so you mentioned before about, like, well, like, kind of that negative feeling. Right. So I just wanted to know, like, it's like a natural, it's like a natural feeling that would, that would come up from, from, from like, repenting. Well, I think guilt, again, is that kind of thing that either it can be, it depends, it depends if it's going to be productive or the opposite, okay? Guilt that's utilized properly is guilt that's going to motivate us to do tshuva. It's going to be, it's guilt that's going to motivate us to get back on track. Guilt that's just, you know, in the back of our heads, making us feel so bad about ourselves that we're just like, why do I even bother, right? I'm going to hell anyway. What's the difference? You know what I mean? That's a person who feels guilty. Right, but they're not using it in a productive way. They're using it to go backwards. So I think you'll have, you have to be very careful because a lot of times it's one of the tactics of Sahara. But if it's used properly, it can be used in a way to help us to chuba. Otherwise, if it's bringing you down, if it's giving you opposite messages, then you know that it's coming from the from from a negative place. Okay. Okay. So Shofet said it be served with mita. It could potentially be the death of the sinner, pain that will be a nullification to the rashkits, or or this person's going to die. They're going to go to Gehenna, okay, to hell, whatever you want to call it. And there he's going to pay his debt. This is a lot of times, you know, you see the, the question of Russia, the, the Tovo, like you see a Russia who's like seems to be living a great life. Why? Hashem's like, 
let him get his just due in the world to come, right? Let him live his life here and he'll just be totally decimated in the next world. You know, he doesn't even want to deal with him. Um, but truth be told, and if you ask my husband, anyone's been to my house probably has heard him say this, hell is a great place. <laughs> it drives my kids crazy when he says that. You have a question? Okay. Hell is a great place. Why? Okay, so let's let's paint the picture of hell as like the biggest gym in the sky. Okay. <laughs> what do you do when you go to the gym and you get this like super workout? You're doing a major spin class. I don't know, whatever is going on nowadays. I try to stay away from the gym. What? <laughs> you feel great afterwards, exactly. Because what's happening? You're working hard and you're sweating and you're like dying, your face is red, you feel like you're gonna pass out feel awesome because you know while you're there you're burning calories right you're sweating out all the toxins like you're you're doing great stuff what do you think is going on in, in, in Gehenna what do you think Gehenna is all about it's a big sauna in the sky right it's the same thing meaning when a person's in Gehenna it's an opportunity for them right they're working hard it's hard I get I don't know exactly and whatever I guess maybe I'll find out one day, whatever. But uh, but um, but in the end of the day, we don't exactly know what's going on there. But again, the, all the pictures of like fire, brimstone, hot, you know, whatever. What does that mean? Again, the difficult, the hard work, the strenuous, whatever's going on there is really in the end of the day to cleanse us, and it's going to make it. We're going to come out clean. Okay, I'll give you a great mashal. I heard this from uh, a teacher, and uh, she's a great nephew. I mean, it will be. I don't know if anybody's heard of her, but I thought this was great. She she gave this example of. Um, a shirt that you buy, I don't know, anybody go to Marshall? I love Marshall. I love Marshall. Masks, okay. That's like the one, one of the stores that I really miss uh, from, from America. Um, anyway, so you go into Marshall's and you find this like great designer shirt for like really cheap. It's a beautiful silk shirt. You're really excited. You wear, you wear it once or twice and then you spill something on it. Oh, shoot, now I have to bring it to the dry cleaner. And you know, the dry cleaner bill is going to cost more than the shirt costs. And you're just like, I want to get this clean, but I want to get this clean. Okay, so let's put ourselves in the headspace of the shirt. Now, obviously, the shirt can't think, but you know what? I just, just go with it, okay? You're in the headspace of the shirt. Now, if you're the shirt, what are you going to want the person to do? Yeah. Clean you, right? Because you, that means you love me, right? And you want to wear me all the time. But what's going to happen when I go to the dry cleaner? It's not an enjoyable experience, okay? I can only imagine that going through the dry cleaning process is not, it's not enjoyable, okay? Whatever they do, it's not really healthy and whatever it is. But because I know that me going through the dry cleaning process is what's really gonna get me clean and it means that my owner really loves me, I'm willing to do it. And I want, I want to go through that process, you understand? And so we have to put ourselves in that same space, okay? The fact that Hashem is taking the time okay, to deal with us, to send us to the dry cleaner, whatever form that takes, okay, Bezrat Hashem, we shouldn't have anything harsh or difficult in our life, but whatever form these things take, for us to be able to say, Hashem loves me, he cares enough about me, that he wants me to come out clean, and that's why he's putting me through this process, okay, that should be the mentality that we have, we don't, we want to get out of the negativity of like fire and brimstone and hell and pain and suffering like that's not what it's about okay that's kind of losing sight of the forest for the trees kind of thing you know don't get sucked into that that's not what it's about the fact that god's taking the time because you know what happens if i don't care about you then new enjoy your life like what do i what do i want to i don't want to deal with you and on some level that's what hashem is doing with the rasha he's letting him live it up in this world okay let him get all of his repercussions in the next world 
Hashem doesn't want to do that. He wants us to get the most out of this world too. He wants us to connect him in this world too. So he puts us through processes to cleanse us. So it's important, it's incumbent upon us to open our eyes, ladies. Okay. This is these any discomfort that we have, even you know, the Gemara says sticking your hand in your pocket and pulling out, you know, uh, you know, a, a 10 shekel instead of a, a you know a 20 shekel, whatever it is, that's suffering. Okay. And that means Hashem is talking to me. Okay, so I want to listen because I don't want to have to go through anything more harsh. I want to listen. I want to say, Hashem, okay, if I need to go through this, I need to go through this. Just give me the insight and the understanding to know how I can fix myself. You understand? Because that's what the goal of all of this is. Yeah. Again, I don't know what Hashem's special moment are, but I, maybe sometimes a person is just so bad and like they've closed themselves off to the messages so much that he's just like, I can't. <laughs> Meaning his first reaction to a person is not to treat them that way. It's maybe he'll do chat, maybe he'll do chuba, maybe he'll do chuba. I'll give him more time, I'll give him more time, I'll give him more time. But at some point God's like, okay, time's, you know, the timer's yeah. over. Yeah, you know, you're not interested. Mm-hmm. So next, that would be my, that would do my guess. Do you have something you want to ask? So he's not just writing him off. It's not like he's writing him off in the beginning, but this is a person I think who's made it clear that they're just not interested in playing game, playing, you know, they're not, there's no one home, you know, what are you going to do when there's no one home? I mean, you ring the bell so many times, that's the definition <laughs> of insanity. Um, how many more times am I going to do this? And the person, and he'll do many different things to try to wake the person up. But sometimes the person just doesn't want to be woken up. That would be my understanding. Again, I'm not God. I don't know his mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but he, you know, it, it takes a lot until he gets to that spot. Okay. Okay. Um, everybody's sort of Kayan, right? Everybody knows what happened with Kayan. Yeah. It was pretty bad, right? He killed his brother. The first murder in history, right? And Kayan says, Gadol right? Is my Avon, is my Mashrit, right? too great for you to bear. He's talking to God. The Ramban actually says that Kain's not asking a question here. He's not trying to like, you know, confront God. He's doing tshuva. He's like, oh my God, is my mashrit so great to bear that God doesn't even want to bear my, like what I've done? He was like, in a, he was in a state of despair. Okay, that's the way the Ramban actually looks at what he, what he was saying. You can tolerate the whole world. But yet my avon, right, my sin or my mashrit is so intense that you can't carry it or you choose not to carry it or it's too much. Again, what does it mean that Hashem is mafarnis, that he gives sustenance to my mashrit? It means until I do tshuva, right, and fix myself, okay? Otherwise, what? It's going to consume me. So Hashem is going to, but but Kain was getting the feeling that God didn't, was not even there. Like, he's not doing that for me. Okay, and that, that was very scary for him. This is an unbelievable level of savlanut, of tolerance, of patience. Again, not only is God giving you the space and the energy to do the negative stuff, but he's now helping to sustain the negative consequences of what you've done. That is a huge level of suffering. So how do we emulate that nida? So a person has to learn how much are we expected to be a savlan, right? Right? 
for us to be able to tolerate the negativity of our friends and, and whatever negative bad stuff that they've done to, to such a magnitude. The, the negativity is still there. They're still doing whatever it is that they that got you upset. They're still doing it. But you're willing to tolerate it. You're willing to sustain that negativity either until it nullifies itself on its own or again, until, I don't know what, there's not much else you could do really. Okay, you're willing to stick it out. And I think I mentioned last week this concept um, that we also have the ability to sustain negativity in our own relationships, right? We feel a lot of pain in a lot of our relationships, whether it's between us and our fellow man, whether it's between us and God, it's painful. Sometimes we're really dealing with a lot of negative stuff. Okay, one second. Um, and again, as we said, the natural reaction is to cut myself off from it. I don't wanna be a part of this. You're negative, go away from me. You wallow in your own negativity, right? You're an angry person. You go, you made this mess, you deal with that kind of thing. Like, I don't want to be a part of this, okay? And a lot of times that's our first reaction. Let a person get swallowed up by their own self-destructive behavior, right? We kind of feel like, yeah, good for you. You know what I mean? It makes us feel better, okay? And again, the media of wanting to someone else to wallow in their own negativity, that's not the meat, that's not emulating the meat of Hashem at all, okay? And again, as we said, down the road, it might be the best medicine and it might be what needs to happen, but our initial reaction should be not to do this because again, Hashem hopes in us because he loves us so much and he wants, he really believes in us and he really believes that we have the ability to, to come back to him, okay? And so by acting with compassion instead of din, Hashem, Hashem will react to us the same way. That's a very big idea this time of year, by the way. The way that we relate to others is the way that God is going to relate to us. Okay, so when we're able to, to do this, this is hard. Okay, no one is saying that this is easy. But when we're able to do this, Hashem, God willing, is also going to treat us in, in kind. Did you have a... Yeah, um, so it's easier to understand the whole concept of sustainment when it comes from Hashem's side. But from our side, we want the negativity to stop when another person is doing something. So would it be more correct to say that we have the patience to hold the space for that negativity? Yeah. We, we have the patience to hold the space for that negativity. Yes. Okay. Again, there's a limitation, you know what I'm saying? But the truth is with God, there's a limitation with us. It's much more challenging. You know, Hashem postpones justice, but he doesn't postpone justice indefinitely. He can't. Okay. But we cannot take justice into our own hands because we don't have the whole picture. We might think we have the whole picture, but we never have the whole picture. And who's to say that justice means that I get to like, do this obnoxious thing to you right now that you deserve this this punishment right now like i can't say that only god can say that so on some level ladies we're being asked to even do a little bit more than god because god knows the whole picture and he knows when to say ad khan we really can't ever say ad khan okay we could say ad khan for ourselves in the sense that i need to protect myself and like there's i can't be part of this anymore i've tried everything humanly possible i've been as kind and compassionate as possible but now i i, I need to protect myself and there's a, definitely a time for that but not for us to ever treat someone negatively you know what you understand what i'm saying it's not up to us to punish someone we're not punishers we justice we're, we can't take justice into our own hands okay that's not the way it works okay everybody clear okay we have time, so I'm going to go start the next Mida, but we're obviously not going to get that far, so we'll continue next week. Well, let's just start. Okay, the next one. The Over Al-Pesha. Okay, that God 
goes over, so to speak, um, or passes over a pesha. He passes over a sin, which means what? God passes over every place that this sin touches and dirties and sullies, and he washes it. So it's very important to understand, okay, and I've kind of been intimating it, but this is this is the media where this comes more into play, is that when I sin, okay, I'm bringing spiritual toxins into my body, okay? So if someone decides to swallow poison, right, one minute, and then two minutes later, you're like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have done that, right? Well, I'm glad you're sorry, but sorry, <laughs> okay? Like, you've done it already. Okay, so what are the consequences of that? I don't know, maybe you have to get your stomach pumped, you know what I mean? Maybe it'll eventually clean its way out of your system. Maybe you'll have lasting consequences. I don't know, but it's not enough to just be like, sorry. Okay, you, yes, you might've regretted it, but you have to still understand that what you've done has caused consequences, okay? And so you need to go through this detox process, much like we said before, when I'm wearing a beautiful, that's why Bezrat Hashem and everyone gets married, right? And you're wearing your beautiful white dress, make sure they give you white wine under the chuppah, yes. not red wine, because when the red wine spills on your dress, it's going to be very disappointing. Okay. It's done. So, okay. That's, that's what it's like. I'm wearing a beautiful white dress. And when I do a sin, it's splotching it with red all over the place. Okay. And it's stained everywhere. Okay. So again, I could be sorry. Oops. Sorry. Okay. But the mice there's still stains and I still have to go through the cleaning process. Okay. So tuva is what makes us responsible for dirtying it, okay? And the depth of tshuva is how clean it gets. Like I said, how strong is that eraser? Is it gonna get rid of, how strong is that tide stick or whatever it is? How much of that stain is it going to get out and how much of it is not going to come out, okay? So that's really the main understanding here. Okay, Zomi Dagadola, this is a great Mida. He's not really comparing this to, this isn't really necessarily uh, a great mida in, in, you know, relation to the other ones per se, but this is an incredible mida because it shows God's unbelievable humility in the sense that his greatness and his humility, both at the same time, because he's actually, imagine if you could, God like putting on the rubber gloves, you know, getting the mop and the, and the bleach and going in and cleaning up your mess. That's what God is doing here. Okay. That takes a tremendous amount of humility. Not, not everybody would do that. Okay, not every, and, and certainly in terms of God, that's like unbelievable. To me, it takes tremendous savanut and tremendous rachamim. Mechila, by the way, there's mechila and there's slicha and there's kapara, and you hear all of these words. They're all synonymous on some level, but they also are all a little bit different. Okay, mechila is like a very basic level of forgiving someone, right? That's what we ask before your kibber. Are you mochel me? Are you mochel me? Are you mochel me? Are you mochel me? Do you forgive me? Right? I did something against you. Do you forgive me? Very superficial. Okay, a person has the ability to be mochel. Okay. But the mechila that God gives us, the superficial level of mechila. So again, we're talking here about shuva may. Hira, the superficial level, right? I'm sorry, Hashem, that I spoke Russian hara. I'm sorry. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Like that kind of thing. Okay, don't hurt me. I'm sorry. Hashem can be mochel you and say, okay, I'm mochel you. Yes, I forgive you. All right? This mechila is not done, he says, through a shaliach. What does it mean? What is a shaliach? A messenger, okay? So again, Robinson Heller suggests, which I thought was really interesting, that a shaliach represents being forgiven on condition. So meaning, what does that mean? Orly, I'll forgive you if what? 
If you don't do it, are you doing If you promise you're never going to do it again, are you really, really, really sorry? Right? I have all kinds of conditions. I'm only going to forgive you if you fulfill these conditions. Okay? That's called being mochel to a Hashem doesn't do that. He doesn't give us conditions by which he'll forgive us. And again, remember, when we are able to interact with humans and other people around us like this, then please God, Hashem will act as, will behave that way as well. So when someone's going to come to you for mechila, don't say, well, do you really mean it? Do you really it? Are you ever going to do it again? You know, you give them a whole list. Again, you might, don't just say you're mochel someone if you're not. That's also very important. And there has to be a balance here, by the way. Okay. It's very important not to say, I'm mochel you if I'm not mochel you. Because that person thinks now that they have clean slate with you. And then they're going to go daven for mechila from God. And he's going to say, but actually, so-and-so is really still mad at you. You're like, what do you mean? Uh, you're not even going to know, right? You don't even know that. They're withholding, potentially withholding your atonement from you because they weren't honest with you, okay? So you have to really work on it. And if you're not really mochel someone right away, say, you know what? I need to think about it. I'm not sure. I don't know. I have to really think about it. Be honest, okay? And again, we can discuss it. We can work it out, whatever. I believe at some point, I think the halacha is if a person comes to you three times, right, and asks for mechila, and each time, you know, for three times in a row, you say no, at that point already, it's, it becomes their, their thing, right, then you're absolved. I mean, uh, you know, but uh, there has to be a limit for everybody. But I'm just telling you guys, okay, when someone calls you up on Arabian Kippur and says, are you mochal me, and you're really upset at them, don't just, you know, blindly say, yeah, I'm mochal you. If you're, if you're not, sometimes a lot of times people don't even know that they've done something wrong. And if you don't tell them, they're never going to know. Yeah. So what happens when you ask someone for another person to do your 74-7, right? It's not so pashut. That's what I'm saying. You, you have a responsibility to go to a person up to three times and say, are you mochomi? I'm really sorry for what I've done. Yeah, I Look, again, let's... <laughs> Ideally, yes, Natalia. Ideally, I should mean it because I'm going to be more inclined to forgive you if I know that you mean it. But if I want to emulate Hashem, okay, if I want to emulate Hashem, the Ramak says you have to, even if they don't mean it, you still have to say, you know how, let me ask you a question, ladies. I don't know about you, but how many of us are standing on Yom Kippur? There's a very long laundry list of stuff that we're doing. I'll hate, I'll hate, I'll hate, I'll hate. How many of us know that we're going to go right back and do something after Yom Kippur? When we're standing there saying, oh, hey, I'm so sorry for X, Y, and Z. And we know inside, like, after Yom Kippur, I'm going to go and do that again. Is God saying, sorry, I don't forgive you. You don't mean it. I know you're not being sincere. No. You leave Yom Kippur with full atonement, at least a superficial level of mechila. Okay? Everybody, whether you mean it or you don't mean it or you're going to do it, you understand? So, again, if we want to emulate Hashem, we have to really... We have to really do it. Well, yes, it would be nice for us to mean it. You know, we, we, we are all working on ourselves, right? And we are all sincerely working on ourselves. So when we're asking for forgiveness for someone, right, we should ask it from a way, in a way that we really mean it. But I'm just telling you, technically, even if they don't mean it, we really shouldn't still withhold. If they're coming to you already, look, it takes a little bit of humility to go over to someone and ask for mechila. Right? It does. Not everybody would do that. Just for the fact that I'm even going to and saying, do you forgive me? I'm already being machnia myself. I'm already, you know, humbling myself a bit. So there has to be some level of, of that. Okay? Yeah. Oh, what if they don't even come? Should, should okay. I give my job to that one? So that's a good question. Okay? And to be honest with you, I do think, I think, okay, I will end with this. I think it depends on the situation. This is my personal understanding, okay? Mm -hmm. Meaning, if 
if you're if you're dealing with a person where like I said before no one's home you know like you ring the door no one is there there's no one to talk to okay they're just not emotionally available or capable of really understanding what you're saying so then no then there's no point in talking to them you know then you need to that that's a sign that you just kind of this is something I have to work on myself I have to deal with this on my own and the truth is Revolva actually says that if you have a hakpada on someone, right, you're upset with someone, and you can really honestly work on it on your own and get through it on your own in a real honest way, then that's ideal. Then you don't even have to confront the person, but it has to be MS. You can't lie to yourself. But I've really worked through it, and I'm not mad at you anymore. I'm over it. I'm over it. If I can really sincerely do that, then I do not have to talk to the person. And he said, that's a, one second, that's a height. That's like the best. Revolba. But... If there is someone home, right? If there is someone to talk to, yes, then I think we do have an achais. Because I promise, I pretty much promise you, ladies. Okay, yeah, the funny. only people asking for mechila are people who did not do anything to upset you. <laughs> it's the people who you have a beef with, people who might have really hurt you, that are not calling you and saying, "Are you mochami?" Okay, those those mass texts that you get from everyone before. I hope everybody's mochami. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> but if you have a havamina, you know that you hurt somebody else, or or you know that somebody upset you and they don't realize it even, or they're not. Yes, you know what? It's a very mental thing to do, to call them before you, well, yeah, one second, to call them before you, and to have a conversation and say, listen, you know, this has been bothering me. It's weighing on me. I really don't want us to have negativity. Can we work this out? I just want to let you know that. And sometimes a person will be so grateful that you came to them because they didn't even know that they did anything to you. You understand most people, ladies, are not mean, okay? A lot of times we get upset with people because we take everything personally. Most of the stuff that happens between us, it's not personal. People don't mean, to, uh, yes, there are some people out there who are disgusting. But I think for the most part, people aren't being malicious. You just don't, they're being insensitive, maybe they're being distracted, they're being, I don't know, but they're not being malicious. So yes, Natalia, that answers your question. If there's someone who upset you and they might not even know, then you should really talk to them about it, okay? As long as there's someone there who's, who's able to hear you, you understand? Um, one second, Adam. Yes. No, you can't just depend on that. We say that every night before we go to sleep. But you can't just depend again if you really believe that and you really feel that Hashem, anyone who is wrong me today, I sincerely, sincerely forgive them and call a kavoda. But if not, it doesn't work. It's not just like a magic potion. Great, good, perfect. If somebody hurt you, you would remember. I promise. Yes. So what about like situations where a person like? Um, worked on themselves to be able to forgive that person, but they also able to apologize to that person. Is that like how how does like if there's also nobody home? So then, how are you expected to get forgiveness from that person? You you meaning you have to ask for forgiveness and you need to and forgive the same person. Yeah. Again, our responsibility halachically is to ask for forgiveness three times, mm -hmm. okay? If we ask for forgiveness three times and that person refuses us, then it now becomes their problem. You understand? It's their issue. It's not my issue anymore. I did what I needed to do. I tried. I mean, we can't be held responsible if someone's going to be a stickler, you know? And that should be a muster for us ladies also. Like, we have to let go. Okay, we can't just hold on to like negativity forever. It's really unhealthy. It's really unhealthy yeah. physically. Okay, it's really, really unhealthy spiritually. Just picture all that anger you have, uh, you know, towards someone in like a big helium balloon. 
see yourself cutting the string and watching it fly away into the sunset. Okay, you got to let go because if you don't let go, you're going to be an angry, miserable person. And you don't want God to do that to you either. Again, when we hold on to negativity to others, we don't want God to believe me. He has a very long list of all the stuff that you've done that aren't so great. We don't want him to relate to us that way. So we really want to do our best to step up to the plate. Okay, 